looked it up, I couldn't tell if we had witnessed a hootenanny or a hoedown. <laughs> a hoedown, according to Merriam-Webster, is a square dance. Okay. So a hootenanny, however, is the one where they're singing and dancing and a band. So we did not go to a hoedown. <laughs> we went to a hootenanny. Good to know. I, I wasn't sure. So I, I really know. wanted to fly down. I didn't know what the difference was. We're now aware. Yeah. And which I, is good. And now I kind of want to go to a hoedown just to really complete the set. And to be able to compare for future reference. Yeah, I mean, I've never been to either, really, properly, so... Well, yeah. now you have. Exactly, exactly. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 225 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Do not adjust your set, dear listeners. We are outside because, holy Anna Summer, it's finally arrived <laughs> in Toronto. It was so cold this year in springtime, so gray, so wet... And it just seemed, you know, seemed like it was never going to happen. Birds were out and bees were out, but just the sun wasn't happening. But um, it's here, and so we decided to come outside. So you'll hear the occasional skateboarder downstairs. There's a soccer pitch below us, so you might hear some cheering. Uh, you might hear my neighbors at some point, because apparently they're uh, new and like to make noise. But um, along with summer and getting outside for a show, there's another tradition where one of my favorite guests always seems to come back around this time of year like you can almost <laughs> set your watch by it really yeah it's it's a kind of it's a it's really is the late june to to early august slot like one of those three shows you're on them i love um, that i'm that predictable it makes me really happy it's, it's wonderful you know it's, it's kind of like the groundhog but way better <laughs> um and and when i say dear friend i really do mean it dear friend who uh shapes my opinion shapes my writing uh, shapes this podcast and i'm deeply blessed to have this friend uh, both in my life and on this show um, writing all over the place now that I can't <laughs> even begin to list it off except to just say Bon Vivant and Woman About Town Ariel Fisher is here today how are you Ariel Fisher? I am excellent thank you for asking and that is a smashing shirt uh, that you're wearing on the, you. the occasion I know it's an for audio those who can't, yeah for those who can't see uh, because you're hearing things and, and not looking at things we don't have the things. technology and we don't have the technology to combine those things although I hear it's there's this newfangled thing called video where you actually combine oh sound and it's gonna sight be, it's going to be huge I know it's going to be crazy Nickelodeon <laughs> for days um but yeah i am wearing in honor of our subject matter a shirt befitting strong women everywhere i am wearing a deborah hill production t-shirt i can't remember the name of the company that made them because i'm a terrible person and they didn't look it up but ryan will include it in, the, will show include in the show notes yes and you can you can support this on episode 225 we will be discussing book smart and turning the record over to play the other side first though we need to learn more about ariel this is know your enemy So, Qualifier, Ariel has been on all kinds of year-end shows and special edition shows and uh, side projects galore, but really, to sit down and be on the hot seat, she has been on four full episodes. This is the fifth Turnaround the Sun. First time around, on episode 112, we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. We learned her first movie in a theater was Home Alone. The last movie she'd seen at the time was Chef. The worst movie she'd ever seen 
was Legally Blonde 2. <laughs> the unseen classic or essential is Lawrence of Arabia. She's now seen that. Matt. And the film that she wished she made <laughs> is Pulp Fiction. Then on episode 139, we talked about Slow West. We learned the film she digs that nobody else does is burlesque. The film everybody else does that she doesn't is a combination of Blade Runner and 2001. And get used to the theme of multiple answers. Um, <laughs> the last film at the time to make her cry was Big Hero 6. In the movie of her life, she'd be played by Catherine Hepburn. And the movie she was watching next was The Imitation Game. Ariel returned on episode 180. We argued about The Beguiled and learned that the film that made her love of film turn a corner was a combination of Annie Hall and The Purple Rose of Cairo. Uh, her first date movie was Interview with the Vampire. Her sick date movie is what I will call the adventure film essentials. Princess Bride, Lord of the Rings trilogy, Jaws, Back to the Future trilogy, uh, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The last film at the time of Leave Her Speechless was Germany Pale Mother. Her film, Epitaph, would be from Anne of Avonlea. I went looking for my dreams outside of myself. Realize that it's not what the world brings to you, but what you bring to it. Finally, last summer, Ariel returned for episode 205. We talked about 8th grade. We learned the film that she likes but never wants to see again is Germany Pale Mother. <laughs> the film that genuinely freaked her out films, plural, are The Exorcist and The Changeling. And I still haven't seen The Changeling, but I promise you. I know, I know. It's been a year. I, I, I gotta get on it. I'm, Dude! I'm the worst. I think it's on Shudder. I'm literally the worst. Uh, the film that always makes her laugh is The Heat. Her favorite movie soundtracks, plural, are Almost Famous and The Red Violin. And the film she loves that seemingly nobody else has heard of are Age of Innocence, Volcano, a film from Iceland, and 90 Minutes. So it's time for round five, Miss Fisher. Yeah. When you go to the cinema... Yes. Where do you like to sit? Dead center. Or as close to it as I middle, can Middle, middle? Really? Middle, middle. Smack in the middle of that pack. Smack in the middle. Why on earth do you want to do that to yourself? Because, well, okay, first off, let's keep in mind, for the most part, when I am attending the cinema, as you like to put it, um, a lot of the time when I'm going to the theater, it's on, like, a dead weeknight when there's nobody else there. Okay. Or it's a press screening. Okay. Where there's very few people there. And right. we all respect each other's desire to not talk to anyone or be around anyone or anything. We're all introverts. the most awesome peer group. Honestly, it is. Because, <laughs> like, we sit down, we shut up, we don't interact, we watch a movie, we get up, we leave, and we talk about it. Later. And then we leave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's like, that's like it. So dead center or as close to it as I can. Usually if I walk into a theater and there's already someone dead center, and a lot of the time this does happen, other people have this proclivity, um, I will go a few rows up. Closer to or away from? Closer to the projector. Okay. Further away okay. from the further screen. Further back, okay. Yeah, further, like higher. Right. Uh, or further back if yeah. you're not in a stadium seating. Okay. But yeah. Middle, middle. So apparently this question comes with a caveat because that's what you do uh <laughs> if you could go on a date with any movie character who would you choose i couldn't think of anybody <laughs> which i know you were stunned by and right. i to be fair i'm sure i'll like go and watch some movie and then immediately be like what the hell ariel i can't imagine why you couldn't think of this i'm sure um but the answer that I, the, the only answer that jumps to mind is like one of my deepest, most profound cinematic crushes. Uh, and it's actually from television. Okay. It is uh, the, Ned, the pie maker from Pushing Daisies. I'll allow it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I should hope so. <laughs> yeah. Because I think everybody else is like, oh, yeah, yeah I get it. That, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was, um, I, I had like an unhealthy 
infatuation <laughs> with Lee Pace because of that show. So much so that I went back and watched Brian Fuller's first show, Wonderfalls, <laughs> and still loved him even though his character was a bit of a douche. Right. And then from that moment on, he would always... There's so, I don't know. There's just something about his mannerisms and his hands and his arms. There's... It's... I can't explain it. But he seems like he's a, he would burst into tears at any moment, or does that do it for you? No, he doesn't okay. look like he's going to burst into tears no, at any moment. No, the pie maker does. He's, he's got no. this look on his face because he can't touch people. Yeah. So he's got this look of longing all the time. Yeah. But it doesn't oh, look like he's... a different kind of longing. It's a okay. different kind of longing. Okay, okay. And it's not... I mean, and that's the thing, right? Fuller did such a good job with that show. Yes. Uh, when you get him and Anna Frail's character finally trying to coordinate and physically interact, and they have to come up with very creative means. Right. And it's... I guess there's something about his proficiency and everything that he does in terms of working in the shop and, like being committed to all of these things, but also his openness as a right. character. Right. That's so attractive. Gotcha. Genuinely attractive. I so mean, I would love to go on a date. I wouldn't, I, I'd be, I would be like Kristen Chenoweth in the show. I would be unable to focus. I'd be like <laughs> dreamy eyed and, and just like, hello. Right. Just, just say nice things to me. Okay. But, I mean, on the one hand, I'll make you pie. Oh, he'll like, definitely like 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 that's that's a that, that's a bonus. Uh, that is a fantastic <laughs> answer. So I mean, if you're gonna cheat, uh, hey, it's uh, not a cheat. It's kind of a cheat. You gave me permission. I, just because I just because I let you bend the rule doesn't mean there wasn't a rule. Oh, uh, okay. It's, well, I mean, speaking of Ariel, <laughs> what is the dirtiest film you've ever seen? <laughs> I found a way around I, this one too. I want to make that laugh my ringtone. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> Septic Man. Okay, I'm listening. I found a way around that one. Well, because I know what you were getting at. Oh, now I get you. Okay. Oh, good God. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Septic Man. All right. Tell people what that one's about, although I'm sure they can guess. Well, I mean, I couldn't think of... I don't like the idea of associating uh, se sex in, in film with being a negative thing and somehow calling it... I didn't it, say negative. No, no, no. I know you didn't, but referring to it as somehow as dirty... Okay has that implication. Sure. So a part of me didn't want to choose something like that, but okay. that can be a conversation in a second. Sure. So thinking dirtiest movies I've ever right. thing, the only thing that came to mind was Septic Man, which okay. is a Canadian film. Uh, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it's Canadian. It's it's about a, it's basically the toxic Avenger, but gross and uh, trapped in a septic tank and the guy goes insane. And Cause, it's cause as one would, as one would. And oh, it's, man. it's disgusting and vile and it's horrible. And I don't mean that. I mean, I write for horror publications. I'm not saying that I'm like, oh yeah, it's disgusting and right, vile. Right. No, no, no. It is. A, it is a vile film, and and really, no one needs to see that. How did you come across it in the first place? At uh, a film festival at Toronto After Dark. Oh, so oh, okay. Oh, so it's recent. Oh, it's. Uh, I want to. I was like, you said the like Canadian and its genre. I was thinking in my head it was something like in the realm of like not Changeling, but like you know, like, like a Cronenberg movie. Oh no 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 no. Oh, this was. Okay. Uh, I want to say Tony Burgess, and I want to say. 2014, 2015. Uh, okay. Uh, Ariel Fisher, what is your favorite black and white movie? I am choosing for the purposes of this show, Laura. Because anytime oh. I have an excuse to talk about Laura, <laughs> I will take it. it. Okay. Laura is a film from 1940. Uh, I want to say it's by Otto Preminger. It is. It stars Gene Tierney and Dana Andrews and Vincent Price, yes. a very young Vincent Price. Yes. It is easily one of the single best f noir films I have ever seen. It is my personal favorite noir. Mm. 
it is a story whereby a detective played by Dana Andrews falls in love with the woman whose murder he's investigating, who right. is played by Jean Tierney. Okay. That is all I will say. Okay. I will say nothing else. Look up nothing else. Just find Just Laura yeah. and watch it. It is available to rent on YouTube and it is worth the three ninety nine or four ninety nine. I'll I guarantee. That. Um I remember that being a very uh not a very showy black and white. What do you mean? Uh, the, the way that something like um, Citizen Kane is showy, or you think uh, Citizen Kane is showy? It's it, like it's 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 showing off its camera tricks left, right, and center. Um, I think it's just using good camera tricks. I don't is, think that's necessarily. It absolutely is, but off. I just mean like it's it. You know, we kind of it was the norm for so for so long, and I, a lot of people who have answered this question have just said, "Well, I'm just going to talk about like my favorite one, regardless of." what I think of the black and white. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like saying what's your favorite old movie. Well, yeah, um, basically. But, with, you know, I approached it with the qualifier, like with my photographer brain of it looks really it looks pretty, pretty in black yeah. and white. You know, like I thought people might start answering things like Ida or The White Ribbon or, or those okay. kinds of movies. But everybody's like, well, this is my favorite old movie and it happens to be in black and white. So, Well, I mean, that, that's fair. Which is cool. Like, And, and, and again, it's, it's kind of like what we're saying with the dirtiest movie question. It's yeah. it's open to the interpretation, right? Right. So it's it's neat because like somebody would go into Laura thinking, well, you know, Ariel loves the black and whiteness of this. Ariel just loves it, full stop. Well, yeah. And I guess that's also another thing is that, at least personally, I don't necessarily think of films in those terms. Like, I, I, I understand the process of appreciating a film for its visual aesthetic based on the category wherein it, it fits. Right. And in this case, that would be a black, a, a black and white film. Yeah. I um, mean, basically, it's, this is kind of like, you know, best laid plans and all that. I can ask my questions of my guests one yeah. way. They're, you're all going to answer whatever the hell you want to do. That's true. So it's, it's kind of like herding cats, but at the same time, I, <laughs> it's just basically my own fault for bringing people in and seeding control. Uh, last but not least, what is a film you like that nobody would expect you to like? The, the film that I chose yes. to cover the broadest spectrum of a film that I genuinely love okay. is Martyrs. I know this. You know this. Um. But, again, I don't know how shocking that would be to some people. Martyrs is a film, uh, it is the film that ended the French New Extremity, which was a specific wave, uh, subgenre of horror that stemmed from France. Uh, it was so intense that it caused, it, it, it marked the end of the movement. Uh, that was largely political and started, I want to say, in the 1990s. Uh, there's an excellent book about the French New Extremity written by Alexandra West. Why? So yeah, so I mean, like I'm, I, I think I'm more flummoxed just because I haven't actually really. I've heard the the name Martyrs, but I don't know what it's about. But why does that seem to throw people off the scent? Well, more than anything, for people who don't know about the movie, it will stun them because they're unfamiliar. Right. For people who know the movie, or at least know of the movie. Yeah. It's not something that people bring up as a film they genuinely enjoy. And I say enjoy oh, loosely. Yeah, I'm reading the plot now, and now I understand your point. Yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah. Why? Uh, because of the execution. He came under heavy fire after this film. Even in the, the Q&A, I actually 
didn't see this at TIFF at Midnight Madness. My brother did, but I couldn't bring myself to do it because okay. the previous year I'd seen another film that was part of the French New Extremity called uh, Inside. Okay. À l'intérieur. Yeah, yeah, that one I know. Uh, yeah, they, both of these films have been remade. Both okay. of the remakes are shit. Right. Do not watch them. Gotcha. Go back, watch the originals. Inside especially is amazing. Different filmmakers, and it's a duo. Um, but amazing, amazing films. A, a woman is trying to steal an, an unborn child from the mother, uh, from her womb. Uh, there's a lot more to it than I mean, that. But with this one, he came under a lot of fire because a lot of people thought that it was a misogynistic film because of its treatment of women. I would propose differently. And he has, you know, said without question, it's not a misogynistic film. The gist of it, I'll give a very brief, you know, TLDR. Um, it's about this cult essentially that captures women and tortures them into ex existential experience so as to try and learn what lies beyond so that they torture them to within an inch of their life so that they can see into the beyond and then tell this cult what lies ahead right. what are we looking for so so it's literally about martyrs making martyrs um the way it starts is with a little girl who's 11 or 12 years old who's been brutally tortured for who knows how long running in a, a shirt and underwear down this, this some abandoned alley crying and desperately frantically trying to get away and then just screaming and then we see this girl as an adult heavily traumatized who found a home and everything going to look for the people who did this to her and her partner who she was in this orphanage with um not really believing her but thinking she just needed closure and then everything that happens after that so you can really package up cerebral and visceral reaction in the name of unbelievable execution yes especially if it's something that's i'm going to venture a guess probably triggering this is an insanely difficult film to watch, and that's why it's shocking to some people that I, yeah. I... When I say I enjoy it, when I say that I love it, more than anything, it's that I appreciate it. Okay. Theme for this segment, interpretation of the question. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, like, I, I can absolutely... There's a lot of films like that that, that I kind of go through. And, I mean, I've got, a, I've got similar questions that yeah. play with that kind of thing of, like, what's a film that you love that you never want to watch again? Or, you know, like, the, the, like those kinds of things. It's, it's, a, it's a very... <laughs> It's a very hard uh, line to see. Sometimes it's like you know what, like I was deeply affected, and and it, and I can't forget about it. I didn't enjoy it, but at the mm -hmm. same time, I can't deny what I witnessed. You yeah. know, and, and and it plays very much upon I think the difference between I watch movies and I love film. Yep. You know, or I love movies, or I love art, or whatever have you. Mm -hmm. You know, the the difference between it being a passive engagement and an actual active engagement with, with the, the media that you're consuming. Very good answers. You you have Thank earned you. your uh, you have earned your Corona. Yay! Um, I guess we're sponsored by Corona now because I'm not <laughs> talking about them. Um, that's more about Ariel. You'll learn more about her next summer, apparently, because that's a thing. Um, but right now, we're going to move on to the new slang, and I'm really excited, folks. we got a great movie to talk about, and I'm sure a good conversation in store. Come on back right after this. We're going to talk about Booksmart. Come on.
Smart is directed by Olivia Wilde. It's written by Emily Helpham, Sarah Haskins, Susanna Fogel, and Katie Silberman. It stars Caitlin Dever, Beanie Feldstein, Billy Lord, Skyler Jisandu, Mason Gooding, Jessica Williams, Jason Sudeikis, Lisa Kudrow, Will Forte, and many, many, many others. Set on the last day of high school, Booksmart is the story of Amy and Molly, two besties that are accomplished, if not that popular. That's okay, they have each other. When confronted with a stone-cold fact about the life choices the girls have made throughout their teenage lives, Molly has a moment of clarity. The friends must have one night where they completely cut loose before their high school lives end and the next stage begins. They've dedicated themselves to academic greatness, but they might regret it if all that greatness comes without a dose of teenage rebellion. So begins one wild night on the eve of their high school graduation, one which will involve parties, boats, drugs, drinking, crime, romance, and of course, a stop at the library. The release of this film was met with some controversy as some filmgoers saw calls to support the movie as a smack towards bigger budgeted films that were doing different things for representation on a large scale. Critics and filmgoers of color went so far as to say that Booksmart deserves support, but is still, at the end of the day, a tale designed to appeal to a certain sliver of the population. So pop quiz, Hotshot. <laughs> How does this film transcend? What does it have to say to audiences who are not liberal, middle upper class, white, and female? It is everything that I love so dearly about the capacity of, about film's capacity for existence. And that is that it is a human experience. We have a, a moderately diverse cast when we're considering ethnicity alone. We have a very diverse cast when we're considering gender representation and sexuality. We have also an excellent cast proportionately when it comes to representation of women. It's about human compassion and connection. It's about knowing yourself and being honest with yourself, even if that means being honest about not knowing yourself. Yeah. It's about, oh my God, this film is about so much all at once that it's hard to really pin it down. I wish I had this film when I was a kid. I, me I do. Too. To, to, like, that, that's, that's a great point because me too. Um, and I gotta say, like to answer my own question and you're kind of leading there already is for me, I just, I believe this film is about youth. And whether you are, like no matter what ethnicity you are, what, what color you are, what gender identity, what sexual orientation, we were all young and all very confused and all thinking we had answers mm -hmm. and realizing we have no answers. And this film is about that in every respect. Yes, its story is very middle-class and white and liberal mm. and feminine, but at the same time, its themes and its ideas, uh, you know, absolutely go beyond so much of that it, to the point where I, I wish that that argument hadn't even come up. I had to bring it up because oh, it became valid. the story around this film when it was opening and Olivia Wilde went onto Twitter and said, please, you know, I, we're getting clobbered. Um, well, here's... And everybody else was like, yeah, you're getting clobbered, but you're getting clobbered by films that have people of color at their front. And I kind of watched this. I was like, oh, here we go. You well, know, like, why do we need to argue about who deserves eyeball? The arguments are valid. There aren't a lot of people of color in this film. There aren't. No. There are no trans people in this film that no. we're aware of. Um, there are no trans performers in this film that we're aware of. There, is a, there are gaps in intersectionality. But to that end, I do say 
no film can do it all, nor should they try, because then they become a veritable potpourri that is that smells sour. So what this film does accomplish that is different and that is unique, because I also saw a lot of dudes, dudes specifically, yeah. I'm like, oh, it's just super bad with chicks. Why do I care? Because there's no there's no romance at this at the center of it. There's two there's two women trying to figure out how to go after their desire, which is very different than pining over a boy. Yeah. And you have you have a a protagonist who's a lesbian number one, a protagonist who's a lesbian who is allowed to pine over another girl number two, and that is at the forefront of her character motivation for the film, at least yeah. part of it. Yeah. How often do we get that? We got that with Love Simon, where a film that was supposed to be deliberately banal yeah. for the sake of giving a demographic something that they had never had the luxury of having, which was a sweet uh, a sixteen candles, for instance. Gotcha. This is different. Yeah. This is different because, and I, I think that was one of my notes was. Um, Holy shit, if I'm not mistaken, was actually literally one of my notes. Um, when she's in the bathroom? Yes. Uh, yeah, what do I have here? So I, I think I even wrote down the line, we just don't only care about school. Right. That scene in the bathroom yeah. blew my mind so, because it changed what the film was about instantly. Yeah. Because our expectations from a teen film are that it's going to be about the brainiacs against the dumb popular kids well and it's going to be a quest to get laid like you know yeah that too on the surface this kind of could like if you squint and turn your head just so the super bad comparison came up early on because i mean first of all because you have jonah hill's sister in in the middle of it for starters and number two just yeah you didn't catch that i didn't catch that and now when you look at her it's like oh yeah there's jonah hill except Um, infinitely more likable yes oh yeah oh yes um it seems like it's going to be the girls are trying to get laid, mm-hmm. because especially when you're like chasing all over Hell's Half Acre on one crazy night. But the whole notion that it's like, no, the girls are not, they're not chasing love and they're not chasing sex. They're just chasing... Experience. Being stupid. They're chasing life. They're, 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 yeah, they're chasing just not being responsible for 12 consecutive hours. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact that they have had this moment of... No, I don't want to say clarity because that's the wrong answer, but they just had this holy shit moment of we have done everything right and we have our lives mapped out ahead of us and we're going to get this great chance because we sacrificed and we did everything right. And then they realize that because they are surrounded with a whole bunch of kids of privilege, they are also going to get the same chances. They just happen to screw around as well and paid enough attention, well, you know? But, they, this, but this is the thing. They didn't just pay enough attention. The, the girl whose name I'm forgetting that... Sorry, everybody calls her Triple A. Her triple name is a. Annabelle. Annabelle, thank you, because I'm not going to call her Triple A. Annabelle, when she has her whole monologue, I mean, yes, she caught them talking shit about her. It was bad. They shouldn't have done it. However, when she puts the screws to them and you have, I mean, I had this moment of, yeah, you tell them because they are the stupid popular kids. And then she flips the script. Yeah. And all of these guys have done I mean, yes, they're, you know, privileged middle class kids. But we also have, if aside from the privileged middle class white woman, yeah. we have a young man of Asian descent. Yeah. He's, I'm not sure if he's Filipino or if he's Korean. Boy, and part. then we have a, Me- a Mexican boy as well. Yeah. Both of whom have gone on to 
pretty amazing opportunities getting into Ivy Leagues or just sub-Ivy Leagues. Yeah. And she cites her GPA, which is incredible. Yeah. And then the thing that made me go, oh, holy shit, wasn't the... It was the realization that this movie isn't doing what I expected it to do. Yeah. I expected That's... it to be an us versus them, and yep. instead it became an us versus ourselves yeah. because the kids that you assumed were just dumb party animals who are going to get ahead in life because they didn't give a shit yeah. actually are clever and smart. And it showcases something that a lot of people do forget, which is that life is about more than just targets and goals. Yeah. Life is about experience yes. and if you don't experience things you deprive yourself of something it's it's like a vitamin deficiency yeah um i adored this movie i expected just to kind of go in and have a nice time uh and you know and, and you kind of, and support uh support olivia wilde's project in, mm -hmm. in the middle of a whole bunch of franchises dropping and you know I, I was hoping for some laughs and hoping for some giggles and whatnot and then it, yeah the, the fact that this movie is far smarter than most of its contemporaries tend to be, that it's leaning less in the slapsticky teen comedy and more towards the coming of age, but not coming of age in terms of just sexual awakening no. or, just, or, or relationship awakening, but just having that moment where you grow up um, well, is is beautiful. It, this like this movie, it's it's exactly what I want in a fun movie I, I want a comedy that has a bit of just a bit of brains to it and this has a whole lot and it has the the coming of age in terms of relationships too but it's between it's a platonic relationship yeah, between and that is two what girls I love. like my i wanted to talk about about caitlin and beanie because you know i i believe i said on this show before watching watching in my life and certainly watching on screen um uh, a platonic female friendship mm -hmm. um is fascinating to me because guys don't have that. Guys are idiots. Guys don't talk about our feelings. We don't hash things out the same way you do. We don't interrelate the same way you do. And I think we're lesser for it. Mm -hmm. But you also don't see the friendships portrayed on screen without starting to lead into schmaltz. Like I think about female friendships on film and I, I, I bet like most people think about like beaches. Yeah. You know? But I prefer a film like this, or there's another film that I'll mention later, where they are clearly platonic. This is not a, a, a romantic or a sexual story, but the way they speak, the way they argue in the late going, um, the way they lean on each other, um, one of the reasons why I'm happy this film exists is because if this was two dudes, they would not talk this way. No. They would not lean on each other this way. Even if they were in the same situation, they would yell at each other and just, you know, be done with it. Well, that was that's the thing, right? Is that we get these stereotypical um, expressions of gendered performance when it comes to conflict, and when it, in terms of young men and young women, for men, it has to be physically aggressive always. That's the only option. Uh, there has to be anger and physical violence, and then beyond that, there will be reconciliation because you know. We're dudes. That's fine. We're not going to cry over it. And for women, it's nothing but tears, anger, and then they never speak again because yeah. somebody slept with somebody's boyfriend or somebody flirted with somebody else or somebody hurt the somebody's feelings. Are, the portrayals are unfortunately shrill. Yeah. Which, but, is, which I don't think is fair. No, it's not. And this so does seeing so... seeing something like this. Exactly. This does so much to change that because everybody has fights. Yeah. Everybody has fights. And that whole blow up that they have at the party, I was sobbing by the end of it. 
I mean, we are getting ahead of ourselves because the thing I love about Caitlin and Beanie is their friendship is quite multifaceted. There's times where they are just two dorks who are, you know, like dancing on the lawn in their, mm-hmm. in their, in their outfits and what, what, who let you be that gorgeous? What's going on? <laughs> who gave you permission? You know, like that kind of thing or like playing the funny song or, or sharing their uh, sad, tragic little sexual stories. Which you know, were so they are funny. fantastic. Oh my God. Um, and I can't even get like, let's talk about that for a second. The fact that they have scenes dedicated to teenage girls talking about masturbation and at length in a healthy way it's not there's no shame there's no like oh you masturbate i totally don't do that you're a liar you're you're a liar everybody who says that is a liar i mean that's the thing too is um and like there shouldn't be i've been been saying caitlin like caitlin and beanie um molly actually when when molly um Molly is talking. Beanie. Molly is beanie, but when she's talking to Amy about sex and about masturbation and about uh, you know like her her, her <clears> physical <throat> pleasures, she calls her out on the fact that she doesn't watch porn. She's like, "Come on, you must. There's no way you haven't. Really, you don't." And Amy's like, "No, really, I don't." So she has to like basically twist her arm. Into yeah, it. and then and it, and they watch it together, and they watch it, and then it just. Oh my god! And then it's it goes such sideways a, from there. Yeah. There were okay when I went to see it, and I went to see it yesterday. There, I was one of maybe seven people in the theater. I was the only person who was alone. Right. The other six six were in groups of two. And they were, I think, two groups of friends and one group that was a mother-daughter. At Mm. least that's what it looked like. (laughs) All of us were cackling during this scene. Yeah. There were a couple of others, and I can't remember what they were, because there are a few moments where just, like like snort laughing yeah like i could not help myself i mean because it's on the, there's a lot that's funny about it because on the one hand we want to say that we're in an information age and kids should be able to figure out a whole bunch of stuff and and you know have, have access to all kinds of things but at the same time you know you realize that there are plenty of people who are just sort of making do but aside how and yeah. with what they can. but it's not even but this is the thing it's not even about that no. it's because i i swear to you Every woman watched this film and went, uh-huh. holy shit, yeah. how did they get my diary? Right. <laughs> Every woman watched oh, this and went, man. oh my God, I've been there. They put it on screen. Yeah. Oh God. So but like, that's the thing. Men have been getting this for decades. Yeah. And I cannot, exp- I cannot explain this enough where you had stuff even back in American Pie yeah. and before with oh, the yeah. sock yeah, yeah, yeah. and like everything. And we have never had it. If we yeah. had, it's been a sheepish coy discussion where they don't actually say anything, yeah. let alone have an honest and frank discussion about it. Yeah. So to watch it, that scene alone, the honesty between the two of them was so refreshing because that's what girls are like. I kind of felt like when I watched this movie, I've told you about this before, I kind of felt like how I felt when I went to see A Serious Man and I could tell that there were jokes in it that were far too... I'm like, I know this is funny, but I don't know why. That makes me so ridiculously <laughs> you know, happy. Or or in a, in a more serious capacity, the end of Crazy Rich Asians when they're playing the Mahjong. Oh, and I'm okay. like, okay, I know she made a play there. I know those titles just did something. But I, I don't know, know what. what it was. <laughs> so it was yeah. the same sort of thing. When they're talking about sex and the way that they talk, I'm like, I know this is funny but this ain't my story i'm like this, oh, this, yeah. I'm, I'm like this is amusing and this is really well done but i'm missing something here and even just the way they do the whole like who gave you permission to be this beautiful yeah, yeah. call the police like all that yeah, stuff yeah. they're so ridiculously supportive of each other yeah. in terms of body image in yeah. terms of 
how they feel about their physicality. And to the point where Amy friggin' slaps Molly when she gets down on herself because the popular guy could never be interested in her. Yeah. And she fully says, no, you do not get to talk about my best friend that way. Yeah. Like, you, I, you know, yeah. whatever. She puts, so like there is this fierce, fierce com camaraderie where normally what we get in these movies is women being catty to one another. Like I love Mean Girls, but like Mean Girls. Well, yeah, I, I need to revisit Heather's because it's been a very long time and I it's actually don't remember well. it. There's some stuff in it that not yeah. so much, but... But, the, but basically part. that idea yeah. of the women not as ally and companion, but as threat. Right. And it's, uh, it's the reason why this representation is so important yeah. is because for decades we have been f force-fed that... That, that discourse mm -hmm. that other women are actually the enemy. Yeah. Like no, to the point where it's actually affected how young women interact with another, with one another. It has, it has supported a, a fabricated narrative mm -hmm. that then impacts behavior. Yeah. And I saw it, I was the victim of it for most of my young adult life. Yeah. And I still see young girls falling victim to it now. And, and again, that's why this film is important, because it's trying to encourage something better, mm -hmm. you know, like so, something modern. Well, it's 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 a film. And I, I'm I don't know. I'm going to sound really old here for a second. Oh, God, I'm that person now. <laughs> I, I don't know what the kids are doing these days, but <laughs> I, I have no idea how teenagers are, are engaging with each other. I had a very specific and specifically traumatic teenagehood and adolescence. So I, 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 I'm not really a very good reference point for positive relationships with other teens. But what this does, what this feels like invariably is what if we now, women in our 30s, 40s, could go back mm -hmm. and say something to the teen girls. And it's funny because on my way to the movie, mm -hmm. I hadn't even, yeah, I hadn't even gotten into the theater yet. And this was really interesting. Three girls um, yeah. got on the subway mm -hmm. and they were in uniforms. They were coming from some private school or whatever, Catholic school. Three young girls and they were talking with each other in a very friendly, casual way. I'm very used to seeing girls come, like girls in public you know, talk like girls the right. way they're expected to. And it kind of makes me nuts because I just want to go up to them and be like, be yourself. Yes. You're pretending this is a mask. These girls were themselves. These girls were so genuine. And I wasn't like eavesdropping or anything, but one of them accidentally bumped me a little bit. And I just, oh, okay, no, no big deal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm kind of minding my own business going one or two stops. And I noticed that two, she was standing behind me next to the door and the other two girls were standing in front of me. And I noticed that they were kind of making eye contact with her. And then as soon as I looked up, they kind of looked like deers in headlight, deer in headlights at me. I was like, oh, they're talking about me. Yeah. And I kind of turned to look at the girl who had bumped me. And she looked terrified. And she went, I'm sorry. I just feel really, really bad about bumping into you before. I'm so, 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 so sorry. And like perpetually apologizing. And I kind of looked at her and all of a sudden my heart sank. And I'm going, shit, girls still feel the need even now 
to apologize for basically their very existence. Yeah. And I looked at her and I just, and I fully, I was just like, oh, it's fine. It's not like you grabbed me and threw me onto the tracks or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's totally fine. Yeah. And I looked her dead in the eyes and I said, you don't have to apologize for your own existence. I wish somebody had told me that when I was your age. Um, and it makes me think that's what this movie is. It's somebody coming so. back. I, like, especially what you're kind of touching on is I mentioned the four writers of this movie, uh, Halpern, Haskins, Fogel, Silberman, and of course, uh, the director um, is Olivia Wilde. Which I still can't get over uh, that this is, like, it's brilliant. Yeah. You know, this is, you say, advice to your teenage self, and it's just, this is kind of... 20-something and 30-something-year-old women giving advice to their teenage selves and their teenage counterparts of this is what the world can be. This is what the world is. This is what the world should be. Mm -hmm. You know, this is who your friends will be. This is how you'll see it. These are the mistakes you'll make. It's okay. You're going to make them. Make a lot of them um, because that's the only way you're going to grow. Um, Olivia Wilde's direction, I know, like I, it's, it's her feature debut, but she's done all kinds of things. And mm -hmm. I was, I was really... I was really enamored well, with her direction of this film. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a tricky wicket sometimes when you get um, actresses getting the director nod because, in a way, it's kind of not fair because there's a lot of uh, female film students who don't get their crack. But because Olivia Wilde was in great big movies and was on House, and mm -hmm. you know, like she's got an in now. What she does with that in, I believe, is really exactly what happens yes and that's how it opens the door for the for the for film, the film student, students who don't look like olivia wilde and who don't spend 20 30 years working on a career in order to direct their first feature right. let's keep that in mind yes of course and her her vision on this film is yeah. clear um her like her comedic timing for somebody who i didn't really consider a, a comedic voice mm. is fabulous oh yeah you know these jokes land oh yeah beautifully she harnesses like she harnesses the talent of this incredible cast that she's that she's amassed and fills it with just handsome imagery and heart-tugging moments mm -hmm. and just so much wisdom mm -hmm. that it's it's incredible to see any movie this woman makes i'm there oh yeah well and it's interesting because you bring up like that it's the women from this generation going back to give because they're ba the women who wrote it are basically giving a voice to a future generation that doesn't exist yet because for all we know these kids don't exist like this is this is just as much of a, of a, a figment of our collective imaginations as someone like Heather's is however I want to believe I've met these girls and so do, so do I so, but the reason why I bring it up is okay. because we think of certain films that are teen movies what this movie does and what a few of its predecessors do if we think about it this way is they are rewriting the social constructs that have confined women to toxic behavior for decades sure. we saw with people like amy heckerling and clueless you know a bit of a shift where we were getting you know intelligent uh imaginative creative characters that still kind of fit the mold but still sort of defied it mm -hmm. it helped that they were based on jane austen yeah it also helped that amy hackerling is brilliant but then we see now kind of this interesting new generation that where the women giving them voices are are really profound fascinating women like with the age of 17 kelly freeman craig yes giving voice to uh nadine Yes, and then absolutely. with Greta Gerwig, yes. giving, uh, lending her voice and her imagination and her experience to Lady Bird. Yes. And now with Olivia Wilde and all of these other women, giving 
using uh, Caitlin and Beanie as vessels for their experience mm -hmm. to now go and give that to a whole new generation yeah. to be able to sit down and say, I want that. Yeah. I, I, I can be like that. I love my girlfriends just as much as these girls do. I shouldn't be afraid to just hold their hand and yeah. tell them just, I love you, because why not? Yeah. Was there a moment in this movie where you thought, women will identify this? Guys oh, may not. Yeah. But a woman, this is gonna, this is gonna hit every woman in the audience in a way that it won't hit the guy. Immediately. What? It, I, I, it's not even thing. the whole thing. Right. And it was as soon as I, as soon as Molly started talking, hmm. as soon as she opened her mouth and right. she started engaging even just with, with Amy, and the way they spoke to each other, immediately this was written by women. This was written by smart, funny women. This was w written by compassionate women, okay. and this is for those women. Right. And it, it, but women of all walks of life, <laughs> like no matter who you are, if you're, you know, straight, queer, trans, black, white, Hispanic, Jewish, it doesn't matter. There is something to be taken from this. Obviously, there are life experiences that not everything can speak to. There always will be. Yeah. But immediately off the bat this just i started i just it felt like i wonder if i can even explain it if i can lend my voice to an audio medium for right now it <laughs> looks like she's about ready to bust into a zillion little starry pieces but that's how it felt in terms of her reaction to this movie but that, I, I do i do appreciate having this moment and that's what it felt like it felt like this explosion of light and joy had gone off in my chest. And I mean, let us be clear here as well. We're not, like, we are talking about a comedy and we are talking about a teen movie, but we're not talking about a cupcake. There is some heavy stuff oh, yeah. in this movie. There is some genuine um, anger and frustration and and, and, oh God. and just pure confusion and in this movie. So There's a lot of heartbreak in this movie, both in a romantic and a platonic way. And the way they deal with it is by apologizing and being accountable. They recognize that they were wrong. Yeah. And they own up to it because yeah. they love each other enough to be able to say, I screwed up and I love you too much yeah. to let that ruin Which things. is beautiful in a symmetrical way because the, the pair have this little shorthand where they, they call a Malala. Yeah. And they say... And the, they never fully explain well, a Malala, but we kind of get it. They that's what it's called. Yeah. But in, in the film, they tell us that, it, that when one of the other plays a Malala, you have to go along with what they want you to do, no questions asked. Uh -huh. So it's wonderful that they both play a Malala within the course of the story mm -hmm. in terms of you got to do what I want. And then at the same time, it's like you also have to reconcile in a Malala sort of way because... We're, we're trying to do something bigger. Yeah. And we are important to one another in this moment. And we, we aren't going to be able to do it by ourselves. No. but and, um, and even in that moment, like, that has to... They had to they had to explode. They had to. I thought they were done. Oh, no. I, mean, I knew they were Maybe that's where I'm being the, the stupid white dude. But, it's, but, like, that that argument... First of all, that argument is incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, argue, that argument is where I can and... tell... That argument is where I can tell that it's woman behind the lens. Oh, yeah. Because if it's a guy, it's just going to turn into flat-out screaming. Yeah. Um, and instead, they they let it fall silent. Yeah, yeah. And you can still... Like, I mean, you can tell one of the two of them tells the other off. Oh, yeah. So you can read lips. But, you can read but lips the rest a little. Of, the rest of it, you have no idea. Yeah. You know, and we, I love that. I, I we, love the way... We get the gist of it right off the bat. And the thing is, is that... 
when Amy is telling Molly what, that she's a bully, she's right. Yeah. And when Molly is telling Amy that she's weak and could never do anything without her help, she's right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that neither are capable of growth and change. Yeah. But because of the fact that, you know, they have their explosion, they have their 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 break and they need they needed it. Mm-hmm. And then instead of shutting down and going, well, she's just stupid and wrong and she doesn't know what she's talking about and screw her. And that's it for a lifelong friendship. No, no. We get introspection, which you would need to have and which all women do. We are navel gazers by nature. Mm. We may not be vocal about it, but we are all navel gazers. And frankly, I think all humans are navel gazers, but it's, if we're being true, if we're being honest, honest. um, and of course, it was, yeah, because if it was written by a man, you're right, that would be it. You would have a fight, and then that would just be, oh, how tragic, they never spoke again. But no, they rally stronger than ever. Or it would or it would get bigger. Like, the, I, the thing that I, along with the fact that it falls into silence, the other thing that I love about that fight is that they both just walk away. They're, they're, being, they're surrounded by dozens of their peers. Oh, yeah. Some of them have their phones up. So oh, this yeah. is going to get done. Like you are not going to be able to dodge this forever. No. And they're and like neither one of them, you know, like breaks something or yells at the or whatever. They're just like, I can't be here right now. Yeah. And just turns and just bails. Yeah. And, and it's, it's all just done so elegantly. Um, this movie likes to lean on our perceptions. Um, not just with Amy and Molly, um, but with, Everybody. So, you know, oh, there's yeah. a, so, you know, you mentioned earlier on the bathroom scene. Well, the bathroom scene is one thing. There's the, you know, we've got the, um, we've got the, the we've got Annabelle who's known as AAA. I right. Love her. And, they, and they say that she's called AAA because she gives the guys roadside, roadside assistance. And late in the movie, <laughs> I love her. A couple things like late in the movie, she talks to Molly about that. Yeah. And, and Molly listens. Molly, like, I mean, Molly's in a position where she has to. Let's be yeah. fair. Like, you know, Molly has not wanted to listen to her at all. But she's in a position where it's like, you're the only other person around for miles. Yeah. So let's just talk. And she's like, you know, I know what people say about me. But maybe it's not true. And maybe, maybe you're smart enough that you should know that. You are this giant empath to the world who goes to all these marches and supports all these causes and wants to be so inclusive but because i am cut from a different way because i am cut in a more privileged way and i cut you know like hang around with guys and i party and whatever i am not included it's like doesn't that seem just a little bit hypocritical yeah yeah same sort of thing you know we get jared jared who is just trying so damned hard to be a to be a popular cool kid, he's very rich, <laughs> just but he just can't you can't make it work for him, you no, know. Just... It's, and he and it's, it's funny because like everybody has again has perceptions about him. There's stories about him, and he takes them to this party that he wants to throw, and yeah, the only and it's empty. There, and he hangs around with um, Lord. Yeah, he hangs around with Billy Lord as Gigi doing her mama proud. In in, in I cannot in, express. How wonderful it was watching her and hearing him. I genuinely, and I might now, I'm not going to lie, when he says that she's just, she's profoundly sad and yeah. that and, she and has this break in her, but that she's a good person. Yeah. All, all I'm thinking of is, holy shit, they cast her to play like her, her mother yeah. as a teenage figment of their imagination. Her mom, in case people don't know, of course, is... Um, 
is Carrie Fisher. Um, Gigi and Jared, I mean, they could just be a stupid running gag. In a lesser movie, they would just be the dumb rich duo that come in, mess shit up, and go... Like, especially Gigi. She's like a Greek freaking chorus, only with drugs. Um, <laughs> and just... Oh my god! And the dolls! Yes. When they have their trip! Yes. It's so good! It's, 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 oh my god! You know, everything in this movie has a deeper purpose. And that's oh. why I love this movie so much, is that it could have just been this fluffy little cupcake. It, yeah. You know? And... and but it's it just it has except the icing is 24 karat gold yes yes i like that this movie is about thinking hard about the choices you've made and this is where the movie oh goes God, beyond yes. just the kids because the grown-ups have a bit of a role to play we've got jessica williams as this teacher who's she's the cool teacher yep. who gives some of the students her number and i love her so much and oh my god she's like, so great because for her what she talks about is i'm glad to, she says she tells them i'm glad to see you guys getting out and actually experiencing being a teen yeah because she never she did. didn't do it right no because so that's what i'm saying so she made choices she made she, she was made, doing the responsible track she was doing the responsible track and she did it and then she overcompensated in her 20s mm. and in the overcompensation she made decisions that that hurt her there were experiences and she learned from them and she grew from them. And I relate to her character in that regard mm -hmm. so much, not because I studied too much, but because I went through some very serious trauma when I was a teenager and I had my teen years ripped away from me. I did not experience them until I was in university. I didn't get to, I just wasn't allowed. So kind of like, well, so, and that's the thing. So you feel the same sort of thing. Like if you could talk to a younger kid, who has had their teenage rip, like taken away. It's like, you know what? Try as much as you can to still be a kid because you might find yeah. that you're, in a, you're, you're, you're a little bit off kilter yeah. when you get into your 20s and you're doing things that are, you know, so-called beneath you. But don't overcompensate. Yeah. Don't so go I love into that the that's realm. In there. Yeah. And even Sadekas. Sadekas is the, the high school principal and yet he's still got a lift, right? And he, yep. you know, you can see he's not exactly thrilled about his job. He's actually just kind of okay with the lifting. Um, you know, when he turns around, he's ended up picking up two of his students for a ride. There's that kind of just quick wash of shame. Ugh. And he's tr and he's, he's trying to write a book. Yeah. You know, he's, he's talking about ideas. Oh, my God. Like, when he talks about the baby, the pregnant woman yeah. detective that the, yes. the baby kicks her every time she's onto something. Yeah. Oh, my you God. So that's what I love is that like the grown-ups are not... Not just the parental figures guiding them along. The, the grown-ups can be there to say, you know what? You might get grown up and you might not be completely thrilled with how things went or where you are. There's also... And and you know what? It's all right. It's also specifically with the fact that they're the teachers who are also kind of yearning for something else. Yeah. Teachers in the States make about half what teachers in Canada make. Yeah, I know. They yeah. make substantially less. Yeah. And, I mean, teachers in Canada are pretty cozy, but they're not, like rolling in it but no. they're they lead very comfortable lives they have some of the best pension plans in the, in the country um whereas teachers in the states do not which when he's in the uber like that was a bit real yeah. for me yeah um i mean we saw that we saw that before in mean girls when tina fey was uh was also bartending yes right and, then, like, I and think, that that was because she was going through a divorce yeah yep yeah so so same sort of idea it's Con like, yeah it's like you think to yourself you know what i'll be okay i'll just study i'll go to school i'll get a job i'll have a relationship and things will sort themselves out and yep. these grown-ups come along into the middle of this movie it's like maybe not, not. so that's it's like you know it might not be okay but it's kind of okay and you'll figure it out 
you know, all of the kids in this movie are all so well-shaped. Like, we've barely touched on some of them. Like, Cuba Gooding's son, who is the one who seems like he's just a big, meat-headed jock, who turns out to have a little bit of geek in him. And that's Wait, wait a minute. Nick. Nick Mason, is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son? Yeah, Mason Gooding. Isn't he also in um, The Voices, the Ava DuVernay? Isn't he also in that, too? I don't But he is, yeah. His, so. I mean, his name is Mason Gooding. But I wouldn't, I didn't, I mean, I haven't yeah, looked at too many of their names. Yeah, I, I didn't say, know that. When you look at him now, I mean, he's got <laughs> hair, so. <laughs> there's, well, yeah, so there's, there's a, little, a slight difference yeah, there. Yeah, a little bit. I like that Nick is mostly a party animal, but he's also a little bit nerd because he talks Harry Potter. And of course, he's a, he's a jock because he's playing beer pong. And we have. Um, also, for the criticisms coming out on, I know there were a lot of criticisms for coming down on Olivia Wilde for casting. She's like, oh, yeah, it's a great a diverse cast and we're giving them an opportunity to really break and people were like oh yeah how hard is it for you know dude's sister to break and for Cuba Gooding's son to break and things like that and then it's kind of like okay well but first off let's start with the fact that they were perfect for the role and they did a great job yeah and they aren't getting any free rides if they suck they will be torn apart if they did and like really it's truly like I you know what it's the the adults in this are sort of kind of names like i'd say they're they're like b plus listers oh yeah at this point well um but but they've got camp cachet they they do um but really truly like you know caitlin dever's been in all kinds of stuff but Mm -hmm. i don't exactly see her lighting up page six well exactly you know same thing certainly with beanie feldstein and and everybody else in this movie even billy lord Mm -hmm. you know um it's it is a they did their homework yes. in terms of castings, in terms of castings movie and what everybody does. Um, okay, the you one were thing saying we, about Nick. Yeah, what we need to end this on though is yeah. uh, there is a fantastic scene late in this movie where um, that involves uh, Amy going to the bathroom uh, after that argument. She's had a panic attack and she's just she's at this huge house party <laughs> and she just needs four walls and a lock. Yep, and she goes into the bathroom and. This girl, Hope, is in there. Earlier on in the movie, she basically cuts them down a little bit, yeah. you know, the, the same way that all the others do. Yeah. And they, you know, give her they give her the cold shoulder the same yeah. way they do most of the others. And so when Amy goes into the bathroom and locks the door, it's like, oh, crap, Hope is there. Yeah. You know? And turns out Hope is queer as well. Yeah. And they have, uh, they have a hot scene in this bathroom. What I th- they have an okay. honest scene in this bathroom. A very honest scene in this bathroom, <laughs> which I think, first of all, I thought was really incredible for its clumsiness. It perfect, right? Because teenage sex is clumsy with a capital mm-hmm. clumsy. Number one, but number two, most importantly, and this is why I want to end on this is I. If I didn't know better, I would think that this film is also shot by a woman. Because holy shit, is this film an example of the female gaze? Yep. And bingo, it's wonderful. Yep, it's a refreshing, beautiful change. Because, and I I don't know if other women listening to this will agree with me, but, and I've only really recently started thinking about this, but watching films that are exclusively from the male gaze don't just make me feel like the characters are being objectified, I feel objectified. Interesting. I feel like I'm being forced to look at women in a way that I don't want to. Mm Mm-hmm. And like I'm being forced into a perspective I don't want to be forced into. This is miles away from any of that. And it's so well done. I kept, I I wasn't sure how they were going to go about things, actually. I I really wasn't. And I was so pleased with how Olivia 
directed it. The scene is shot beautifully. Yeah. And it's fun. Oh, my God. When she reaches for the cup. <laughs> I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. That's the wrong one. Yeah. No. Um, oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's mean, beautiful. It's, what I, it's, it's not a prototypical Hollywood sex scene. It's not even a prototypical um, teen movie sex scene. Like, if you were to put this... A great example, actually, and, and it's another film that's directed by a woman, is if you were to put this back-to-back -back with the scene in Fast Times on Ridgemont High, where Phoebe Cates is, is undressing out of the red bikini coming out of the pool. Oh. Okay? That, you know, it's like, here is something that is so clearly the male gaze, and this thing over here mm. that is far more clumsy and, honest. you know, slapdash and like, honest mm -hmm. and... Genuine. Like, I believe this scene happened. Yeah. And I believe that somewhere out there in the world, a, a, a girl like Hope looked at a girl like Amy wearing whatever underwear that she happened to put on, because yeah. she's not, like, dressed to the nines or anything no. like that, and looks at her the way that Amy does. Yeah. Like, I... Well, exactly. You know, like, and that's the thing. And she doesn't say anything or anything like that, and it's not overdone. No. But if you watch the actor who plays Amy's face, or sorry, Hope's face in that scene, it's like... You are into this, like mm -hmm. you are either you, like it's all over your body language and your face, mm -hmm. and you're not doing that much, but you're doing enough, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I love that this film has it. We could be here all night. We really uh, talking could. about this film, but we do have to move on to other things. Uh, we end every film, of course, with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, Ariel Fisher, what is your souvenir? Uh, Molly's um, Molly's confidence. Aww. Yeah. No, seriously. As soon as I see, I saw her on screen. I went, "Holy shit!" Yeah, you're, you're the, my hero. The you're one. You're my hero. Two, you're a full-figured woman who's viciously smart, mm -hmm. and is for by all accounts the nerd of the film. Yeah. And you're this level of confident and not shy at all. Yeah. I would like to bottle that, please, and sell it to women around the world because we need more of that. Yes. We need, I wish, mm -hmm. I, like even today, I don't feel that confident. Mm -hmm. I don't feel as confident as she looks. And I know that probably baffles you because no, you No, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, yeah. I, I absolutely understand. Well, I say that saying. because, I mean, I can, around you, I'm very like, <laughs> hello. But, I, you know, in general. Yeah, Molly's confidence. Bottle um, that shit and sell it on the streets. My souvenir is, is a soundtrack cue because, of course, um, there is a scene in this movie uh, that does a wonderful job of recognizing... Um, Amy's kind, not Amy's awakening, because I think that's a, da a dumb phrase, but Amy's, Amy's growth. Mm -hmm. it, it, it does, there's a scene in this movie that really uh, uses a wonderful metaphor to embody Amy's growth and her maturity and her, uh, her real grabbing onto this knight with two arms. Mm -hmm. um, the, the great thing about the scene is that when you think it's going to end one way, it takes a really sharp left turn that I think is genius. But it, of course, in that scene, there is a song that's played and the song is perfect and the way it's shot is perfect and the way that, that she moves through the scene is wonderful. So I want that all in a nice little package and I don't really want to spoil the song. I'll spoil it to you. But um, the <laughs> song, in the, it, it's not even a, it's not an obvious choice. That's yeah. what I loved about it. I was like, oh, that's a good one. That's a great song right there. It's it's not exactly, you know, going deep into the catalog, but it's it's a less 
And it's an obvious choice. Right? And now I can't even think of the scene. Uh, we'll talk about it in a second off mic. So um, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. I'm sure this is going to surprise absolutely nobody. Ariel Fisher, what do you give this film on a scale of one to four? One. You're such a liar. I'm so full of shit. A um, four. This is a four-star movie, of course. This is one of the year's best movies. Um, oh, yeah. I, ex- I expect that we'll be talking about this again in December. Um, and I'm so happy that this film exists. I do hope that it can find a little bit more audience. It needs some money. It needs to make more money and more eyeballs need to get on this. Um, I This is the kind of movie I expect when it hits Netflix, it's going to be Ball. Oh my god! I want to. I left the movie wanting to watch it again. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me I still. Too. I want to watch it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you think that this movie is a piece of crap. We don't want to know you, but tell us. <laughs> um, or maybe you think that this is the greatest movie ever. Uh, let us know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Olivia Wilde's Booksmart? We are going to be right back after this to talk about a few more movies as the sun goes down on a Toronto night. Come on back. Sun has set here on Matinee Cast 225. She's Ariel Fisher. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's summer night in Toronto, Canada. We've been talking at great length. About, as usual. As, as we do uh, about Booksmart. Um, we're going to, of course, uh, go deeper down the rabbit hole. Uh, why don't you get started, Ariel? What was uh, film coming away from this? This movie does wonderfully crib from a lot of movies, so we mm. could be here until Rapture if we want. Um, but what, what, what's a I mean, movie you won't of? we though? Uh, um, what is a movie that you thought of coming away from Olivia Wilde's book? Well, I thought of two. Okay, let's start with one. But I thought of two. Only two? <laughs> well, I mean, no, but okay, I, I tried. Thought of, I thought of three. Okay. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, no, you didn't have to just think of one. No, I know. Yeah, but, but start, like, start with one of them. I usually only think of one. This is weird. For the other questions where you ask for a one-off, oh, I yeah, give yeah, like yeah, multiples yeah, going, and find yeah, multiples. Yeah, for these, I always have one. Get on the team here, dude. Well, I have two. And my two are dazed and... Wait, start with one? Start with one. So dazed and confused. Yes. Because yes. it's a because it's a one-night film. Right. And it's, it's very much in the vein of both Jarmusch and um, uh, Linklater. Mm. It's that's... Mm-hmm the spiel right yeah. so it's very everybody everybody wants some and dazed and confused i guess but i wouldn't overly compare it to everybody wants some because no. it is it's viscerally different yes but um no dazed and confused completely how is dazed and confused aging for you we're I, about, uh, I think we're about 25 years away from it now thereabouts pretty um, well yeah you know from um, my memory i mean we did it on the world is changing we're evolving how's, yeah. how's it holding up it holds up fine because it's a period piece. Right. So That's, I don't, yeah. yeah. Period pieces I generally don't question so long as they reflect the period accurately. Take it as it is. Also, we have to take things at face value for the time in which they were produced. But if something was produced in the 90s that was set in what, 1980? 70, uh, 76 specifically because they're talking about the bicentennial on the last day of school. Right. We have right. to cons- we have to consider it as a representation of, of, a, of a time period. Yeah. So that's why, like Matthew McConaughey, we can just kind of like chuckle and shake our head at. Yeah, he is. Know? He is in demonstrative of a specific person in a specific time. Right. So maybe. And he's know, also not a hero. 
There is nothing no. about his behavior where he is being well, shown. I, okay, but I mean, there's a lot of dudes who like see that character as Brand, and they're all whoa, yeah. yeah and there's they're a, all idiots. Exactly. Yeah. They're all idiots, and they're all washouts, and they're all burnouts, and so is he. Yeah. You he know. goes nowhere. He lives in the same town and keeps like the creeping on the same girls. The joke about why he likes high school girls is not supposed to really be funny. It's no, supposed to be just goddamn scary. Exactly. So there's nothing and about it's, that and character. It is really funny. It's funny, but it's also depressing. Yeah. And that's I think what someone like Linklater does so well is is get this kind of profound, depressing levity. Yeah. And it, and nobody really nobody does the one night film quite like Linklater does. No. Um, another film with an amazing soundtrack. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, like so much so that back, back in the days, children where they released physical media, um, <laughs> it was, it was a two disc soundtrack. There was, you know, there was uh, days and confused and more days and confused. Oh Cause they couldn't yeah. even get it all, all into one. Like the, the first right. CD sold so well, yeah. CDs even, um, sold so well that they released <laughs> a second one. Um, another film where the cast was largely nobody ish, mm-hmm. you know, like, like a lot of the care, a lot of the actors were names in the way of they weren't yet no yeah, like they, they were all Mila like, Jovovich wasn't they anybody were all, they were all hired because they were cheap it's the same sort of thing as Booksmart right? well, exactly like, like, these are kind of names these, but none of them are commanding big salaries well these people are going to be people yes and in Dazed and Confused the other than Matthew McConaughey but not even really Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey at the time yet. like that was uh, if that wasn't his first role it was like his second really it was yeah, that, that it was that early that was back before um Time to Kill, that was before Boys on the Side. Because, I mean, okay, so he wasn't anybody at the time. Mila Jovovich was nobody at the time. Um, Ben Affleck was nobody. Ben Affleck was nobody at the time. Parker Posey was nobody at the time. Jolene Adams was nobody. No. And, I mean, wait, had she done, like, Mallrats and Chasing Amy and everything yet? No. Those were later. When was Jason Hughes made? I'm not remembering. About 93. Uh, so that it was, but it was around the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like they would all, you know, they, they would were, all come watching, about real quick. Watching them all about yeah. ready to, about ready and to a double, up, a right? double dose Kevin Smith connection there yeah. with her um, and and Affleck. Anthony Rapp is like post. Oh, I forgot right. it was Anthony, Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp is like post uh, Adventures in Babysitting, but pre Rent. Rent. Yeah. And we're talking the play Rent people. Yeah. <laughs> Let's remember he yes. was in the original Broadway yes. cast. Yes. The original um, off Broadway cast. That is a that is a wonderful selection. That would be an amazing double feature. I would totally pay for that double feature. My movie is actually one of my first movies. Is another movie that's very much cut from that same cloth, mm. just older. Um, American <laughs> Graffiti. That's okay. Is that so, the other one? No. Okay. But we did an episode on a frame apart yeah. where we were talking about the one night film, ah. and we did a compare and contrast between Dazed and Confused and American, uh, American Graffiti, Graffiti which um, I love and which I know you love for a very specific reason. Yes. Um, this was my dad's all time favorite movie. He would laugh like he was watching it for the first time. You know, every time and he was, saw that car pull out of the parking lot and its axle get left behind, he would howl laughing. <laughs> and, like, my friends would be like, has he seen this before? I'm like, yeah, he knows a it. A million times. Yeah, he's seen it a zillion times. He told me about it. Um, another movie with an incredible soundtrack. The cast is all young and not really known. Like, I mean, the like most, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus before Jaws. It's got... Uh, he was a baby. It's got Ron Howard yep. after Eddie of Mayberry, but before Happy Days. Yeah. Um, uh, Suzanne Somers. Yeah. As the you know, <laughs> as the, the the blonde that shall be chased. 
who you never really see. You only see her once and barely. You see her. I mean, but that's, that's you hear that, her. That is what I love about this movie. When I wrote about this movie, I, I was doing a series for a while where I was taking a single shot from classic films and writing about some theme of the movie in the in the way of the shot. And yeah. what I chose from this movie is the shot where she is in that white T-bird and just looking over. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is you. This beautiful person in this beautiful car that will be gone like that. Is you will spend an absurd amount of time chasing is you. Mm-hmm. And at the time, like this night feels like it goes on forever. And the chase of this beautiful woman feels like it, it does go on all night. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what it's going to feel like at the time. But I promise you, it is so damn short. Oh, yeah. And then wonderfully at the end of the movie, when, when Richard Dreyfuss is flying away, he sees the white T-bird again. So he's like, oh, yeah, like there, there that, it was. And he, smi- he smiles kind of wryly to himself. Yeah. Um, Another, yeah, another movie, like, hijinks ensue. There's, you know, like, people fall in love, people fall out of love. Uh, Harrison Ford crashes his car. And this was Harrison Ford pre-Star Wars. Yes. This was, and he was brought on, this was where he was brought on because he was a carpenter, and they'd found him, and Lucas was like, come, let me put you in this. They're like, you look like you could be driving a pretty good muscle car and And wear a cowboy hat. If I'm not mistaken, this was kind of the dry run to try and convince the execs that he should be in Star Wars. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like this was where it started. I think so, like, I mean, same thing. In this movie, he is very roguish, Yeah. right? he's, He's this... He's this kind of uh, smart-ass stranger in town who wants to challenge, uh, you know, the, the guy with the, with the great muscle deuce coupe yeah. to, a, to a race. So you see seeds of Han Solo in this character. I, I would totally have it, like, I would totally, if he, I would totally believe that Lucas already had Star Wars written, mm-hmm. you know, so, and, and he's like, yeah, you're the kind of character. And you know that, how the movie got made. Uh, remind me? If I'm not mistaken, well, it was a, it was a dare. Was it? Yeah. I can't remember exactly who from. Um, oh, it might be Brian De Palma? No. Because they, they were all close. That one, of, one, of that, one of that new Hollywood. Or it group. was uh, Coppola. Peter. Like, no, it might have been Peter. Bugs, it might have been Peter Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. Okay. I could be wrong. Um, but it was one of those guys didn't think that Lucas could write that kind of a film. Huh. So the I, only reason he did it—he spent his whole career trying to write something else that was great. Well, it, no, he never chased that. That was the thing. He did it on a bet. He never really uh, cared about that movie. No, but I mean, he never—he never again wrote something that was really that good. No, because he—he <laughs> he was challenged to do something outside of his wheelhouse, right. and it turned out to be brilliant. Yeah. And then he went right back into his wheelhouse, where all the yes men and the checks live. Yeah. And then he just buried himself there. Um, it's a fantastic movie. If people right. haven't seen it, it's so much fun. It's so funny. It really is. Um, like, Play it really loud. And the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, Duh. absolutely. Uh, you, you'll probably see yourself in this. Um, what was another movie that you had to go along with Book Smart? Uh, my other movie is Lady Bird. Yeah, so, I mean, we were talking about this off mic, and we're getting um, a wonderful deluge of coming-of-age films uh, told from the female perspective. Uh, we were talking about a scene in... Perfect. Um, we're talking about a scene in Booksmart yep. that is uh, evocative of a scene in not only Lady Bird, but also yeah. in Edge of Seventeen. Um, that is a wonderful metaphor. That, you know, it may just, it may become... Baptism. It may become the trope <laughs> of the genre. I mean, and that's okay, is. And that's okay, because it's a wonderful trope. Um, Lady Bird, of course, you were on the year-end show for Lady Bird. Uh, that was one of your top movies of that year, if not your top movie that year. Mm. 
Was that this year? No, no that was the last year. Get year? Out and Shape of Water. It and may have billboards. placed number one. It was high. It was certainly in your top five, and it may have been your number one. It may have been my number um, one. You know, I, I, I kind of feel sad people haven't come to Lady Bird by now. I don't. I think a lot of people will. I'm not surprised that it's kind of grown a little bit quieter again. It was so. It was so big when it came out. It was such a presence. Yeah. And Saoirse Ronan was such a presence. And Greta Gerwig was such a presence. Yeah. And again, we had um, Beanie. Yeah. Because Beanie's in yeah. Lady Bird as yeah. the best friend. Right. And she does a great so job it's, with It's kind of like she's growing up. Like, now she's the lead. Well, <laughs> but exactly. And I, I guarantee you, Beanie never thought she'd be the lead. I am willing to bet money. I would love to ask her that if she thought she would this early in her career. And I mean, like, that's, that's really... Ref that, that's quite refreshing when it comes to the fact that, again, she's Jonah Hill's sister and could probably land herself a lead part in something silly if she really wanted to. And this is, but this is, that's the you know, thing. Hey, you know, hey bro, can you produce me a movie? You know, I just, I want to go, I want to have like some, I, I want to do the female super bad. Can you just produce that? And, and, and it would get made. It would. And she know? could. And, but honestly, I think she's going to be the next Melissa McCarthy. And I say I'd that. Just, yeah. Yeah. And I say that knowing Melissa McCarthy's capacity for powerhouse roles. Yes. We, we got to see that in... Um, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yes. And I got, to, I got to see it a lot, and a lot of other people did who watched it. I say I because I know you haven't watched it on Gilmore Girls. Mm. There were moments, mm. glimpses. She hasn't done... I want to see her go for broke with serious roles. Are we I also Beanie here. Or are we talking? Oh, we're talking Melissa both. McCarthy, but really but both. also ro yeah. both. Yeah, I can see Beanie following in her footsteps that way. Yeah, and frankly, I see both following in a vaguely streepish trajectory. Because there's I a mean, lot them's of words. them's. Hey, I don't think them's fighting words. I think them's yeah. aspirational words. Sure. Um, but I love Lady Bird. I think it is a brilliant film. And again, it's part of this new generation of teen comedies that actually give us a glimpse into some kind of genuine, uh, profound clarity. Another film with great attention to the people that they are telling the story about, because we talked at the, the time that we talked about it, and I will include a link in the show notes and a time track, because that episode be long. Mm. Um, we talked about the um, the life that that um, her family lives, like how that house looks so lived in, and yes. it's got like like nar like like kind of like really threadbare carpet, and there's piles of laundry all over the place, and it's very very working class. Like that to me suggests vision, suggests a very specific upbringing. She's talking about her growing up in Sacramento. Mm. You just thought of something. I just thought of something and my heart's breaking and I'm like, my brain is exploding. Holy sh... What'd you think of? Oh, God. I was just thinking. I'm like, the house looked lived in. I would have loved to have seen Molly's parents. Why did we never see Molly's parents? I, oh, yeah. my God, because she's an island and she doesn't have... She doesn't treat any... She doesn't need anybody except Amy. Right. And Amy's coddled by her parents, which has made her into this person who largely has depended on Molly to be able to say definitively do this, don't do that, or this is a good decision, this is a bad decision. Okay, cool, <laughs> I'm good, continue. Uh, it's, it's, it just, it's, it's, it just oh, keeps going, this it just why, keeps that's going. That's why we talk about these other movies. <clears throat> Something, you know, like, it's it's not just, hey, this would be a good double feature, they add perspective to our feature discussion. Um, Jesus. Well, my second film that I thought about when I talked earlier about 
um, the portrayal of the female friendship on, on film. Um, I think the first time it was brought to my attention um, seven years ago, six or seven years ago, is a film by Sally Potter called Ginger and Rosa. Oh. Yeah. I never saw it. With um, Elle Fanning is, uh, uh, I want to say Ginger, because she's got the ginger hair. Um, Rosa is, uh, I was right, Rosa's played by uh, Alice Englert. And it's, again, a story of a female friendship. It's not as madcap as Booksmart. It's, it's more just about them growing up and them hanging out. And one of them uh, has a different, they, they, they differ on something key and that is going to affect their friendship and same sort of thing of like they have this very beautifully codependent relationship mm -hmm. and it's it's about ready to fracture and it it hits both of them especially the the one who is about to be left so hard right and it's a gorgeously it's a gorgeous portrayal of not just female friendship but a young teenage female I literally um, just added it to my watch list. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Sally Potter, <clears throat> really underrated director. Um, I know she did a movie called Yes uh, with uh, Joan Allen that I adore because the whole movie is spoken in iambic pentameter. I'm um, sorry, what? Yeah, it's great. Um, sorry, Sally Potter was Orlando. That's that's Sally Potter. She directed. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Wait, so did she also do this iambic pentameter one? Yes. Okay, that sounds that makes sense. Now that I know that she, she did, did Orlando. Orlando. Yeah, and the movie again. The movie is called Yes. If no one has seen Orlando, see seek Orlando. It, seek it out. Yes, it is one of the most. I'd say probably one of the more important films about gender identity in existence. Oh yeah. Like, easily. And it's Tilda Swinton. And it's Billy Zane. Yes. Do you need any more incentive? Yeah. It's Tilda Swinton in various periods throughout history yeah. being majestic and ethereal. Yes. So. Yes. It's, it's almost like the birth of Swinton. Like, everything that she would go on to do, it's it's very much like the but aha moment. I don't, I'm sure that she did stuff younger than that. She but, did. She definitely but, but did. But it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's not quite the birthday swing, but it's up there. Um, it's up there. I mean, the last one that I had to go along with, with uh, Ginger and Rosa and American Graffiti, um, again, I wanted a film that was all one night um, and got to the absurdity mm -hmm. of Booksmart because, you know, Booksmart is a movie that involves some really shitty attempt at petty crime and some drugs and some absurd dolls. I love it when they think it's cocaine. Yeah, yeah, you know, <gasps> and, and, and a boat party where their guests are, the guest list is four. Um, I thought about After Hours by Martin Scorsese, which um, I've never seen. It's uh, I I can I know I can't lend you because I don't have that one. Um, it's <laughs> one of his lesser known, not lesser known, but certainly lesser appreciated. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's kind of seen as a flop. It's, okay. it's around 85, 86, so it's before Goodfellas and, like, Last Temptation of Christ, but after Raging Bull. So he's doing some kind of just more mainstream bullshit. Yeah. And it's a guy who, uh, he like, he leaves his office, mm -hmm. and he just starts going through um, 
downtown New York. This is in the 80s. This is before Giuliani came in and cleaned it all up. Mm -hmm. So downtown New York, after hours, is a really weird place where you go into some strange clubs and meet some strange artists. And you sometimes find a diner that is like your kind of people. But uh, that can go sideways really fast. And it's all just so wonderfully weird. This guy just kind of falls down this rabbit hole, curiouser and curiouser. Um, he, the, the midway through, he, he ends up in a diner and uh, the, the cook brings him over a cup of coffee and he's like looking around. He's, he's, he has no money. He's like, I'm, I, I got no money. I'm sorry. He's like, it's all in the house. It's all right. And he's like, really? You sure? He goes, after hours kind of has its own set of rules. So it's okay. And it's, it's, it's really flawed. Like, you, you said know, it's Scorsese? Yeah, I was going to say, it is Scorsese. And I mean, like, you know, that's the thing. It's like, on a scale of Scorsese, it's middle to, to lower upper middle, you know? It's, <laughs> it's, like, nobody's going to be double featuring this thing with Goodfellas anytime soon. But it's aged so interestingly, um, as I said, like, that, it, it, that one night, one weird thing after another mm. is done so well in After Hours huh. um, that I think it would make a great companion film. Did you think of any others while we were babbling on there? Or uh... I mean, I could. Yeah, like stuff like The Edge of Seventeen. Like this, I think in these connected terms, right? In, in mm -hmm. terms of that kind of a connective tissue. Yeah. And my brain is just on on the representation more yeah. than anything else. And 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 it's a again like it's got it has a lot of these threads. Like we you know we were kind of we were sort of like tap dancing around the. Um, the film's queer identity. We got Ryan as character in there who's pansexual. Which one's Ryan? Ryan is the one that um, Amy is deeply in love with. She, oh. She got the, the blonde curly hair, the glasses, she's a skater. Yeah, she may be, well, she may be pan, she may be bi. You know. Because they, they are different. Yes. Um, she's certainly bi. I mean, I just, I want to, I want to hope that kids now are pan. Uh, but they're but, not necessarily right. the but same she, But she thing. is certainly bi because she is attracted to Amy, but she ends up schmecking on some Well, we, we assume that she is. Yeah. She seems to be. Yeah. But so she's, she's we'll, we'll use queer as a, as a blanket term, sure. even though it doesn't necessarily apply as one. But yeah, she's, she's, she's queer in some form. Yeah. So I mean, um, so when you take like her, Amy and Hope and you kind of yeah. like explore, like you could double, you could double feature it with all kinds of queer films. You also get what's really interesting is the uh the rep not the representation gender representation the gender performativity in the in that ryan becomes she's kind of she looks like she presents gender fluid mm -hmm. i don't I mean, know she that has, she necessarily does that's no, something I, I mean, that's one, very of, specific. Look, one of the one of the i think one of the reasons why i'm following this trail of breadcrumbs is that she is a female character with a male name and i know ryan is also a a, female, like a name for girls because my friends in high school tried to set me up with a girl named Ryan just for kicks. Um, <laughs> but generally speaking, if you meet somebody named Ryan, it's a guy. Generally speaking. So, but, say, that so, so, but, so I, but no, but it's, it's one of those little things that I like that adds on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the character is really interesting though. Being able to see a character that's that fluid visually as yeah. a representation think, for other kids. Like, I've, I've got, I've got high fidelity in my head because he, when he talks about meeting Charlie, the character in the film played by, Catherine Zeta-Jones, he talks about right. one of the things that he was drawn to was she was the first girl that he met that had a boy's name. Right. You know, like her name is obviously Charlotte, but she goes by Charlie. <laughs> right. And he's like, I was just, I grew up in upper middle class England and 
all the girls had girls' names. Yeah. So it's it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, hey, we could be here talking all night. <laughs> the sun is down, so we very much have been. Um, but we are going to call it a day. That is a wonderful episode 225 <laughs> of the Matinee Cast. As always, I am deeply grateful for Ariel Fisher for coming by. Um, come on back Monday, July 1st, Canada Day for episode 226. We are going to talk about the new Jim Jarmusch movie, which is called... The oh, dead? the dead don't die. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that movie. Who, who are you talking about? That I one? have no idea. I, I'm, I'm making this shit up as I go. Cool. Um, I can. I, if you're looking for someone who knows about the, you know, it, where yeah. it stands in the zombie yeah, yeah, canon. Yeah. yeah, you know a guy. I know a guy. Okay. Uh, um, the, the, the guy's me. <laughs> <laughs> Ariel is writing all over the place. So plug your shit. <laughs> um, you can find me at Atom Tickets. That's A T O M, not Adam as an Eve. Um, they uh, so Adam Insider is their website. Adam, I guess for people who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, Adam Tickets is a competitor for Fandango in the states. They are the number one competitor for them, and they have an editorial website called Adam Insider, and they're doing some really amazing work with some really excellent writers. And I have started doing a fair bit of content for them. I did a piece on Brightburn that you can find there where I was comparing it to Ginger Snaps in terms of pubescent horror. Uh, and also a piece on the empathetic representation in Avengers Endgame. Uh, much more coming their way. I've got a piece coming out for the release of uh, Child's Play. So stay tuned for that. You can find all of my work through my website, arielfisher.com. I'm available on uh, all social media at afis8, A-F-I-S-8. I also will be guesting on the Horror Queers podcast later this week, their Canada Day episode uh, that they are doing on Ginger Snaps. So conveniently, I already had the research right, done. Right, right, yeah. And yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I have coming down the tubes right Check now. There's the show notes for this episode. Yeah, there's some stuff that I Fisher can't talk about just yet. Door, but so there, there will be, there will be, there's there will lots. Be lots. Um, I'm saying, big on Twitter, so. I, you, you, you are. There's some days where you're like, I can't get any work done. I'm like, get off Twitter! <laughs> How do you write through, get off Twitter? I, I get, I hate, hate, hate. It, it actually, believe it or not, is not what's inhibiting me. <laughs> it's the crippling anxiety disorder. <laughs> Thank you very much. How does one get through, get off Twitter? That's why I... Sometimes I just have to yell. It's wonderful. And I, I'm just like... I'm just like don't, no, don't, don't, like, for every actually you see, I don't do about six. Ha! <laughs> uh, my site is thematinee.ca. <laughs> for more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them, oh, everywhere. Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, assuming they haven't decided to crunch that down. Yes, yeah, um, the iTunes store, assuming that's not crunched down. Um, iTunes is going away, people. Um... Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. If there's a podcasting platform you use and my show's not there, let me know. I'll put it there. Um, feedback on Booksmart or any of the movies we've talked about today can be left at uh, Brian at the matinee.ca, Twitter, Brian Matinee underscore CA, Facebook.com slash Dark Matinee. Any final thoughts? See Booksmart. Absolutely see Booksmart. And then once you've seen it, see, see it, it again. again. Yes. And take your friends and see it in the theater. And pay money because... Oh, man. See it with your friends, man. Please. See please it do. with your best friends. Real, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. Talk about